Amen. Thank you, praise team. Thank you for that. It was beautiful, wonderful, good worship in the song. We're so glad that uh, we got a good praise team. It's wonderful. And good to have you. And uh, we're glad that you're here today on this Memorial Day weekend, uh, worshiping and uh, looking to the Lord for direction in your life. Um, also want to thank all the men and women that aren't here that gave up their life for us, that we could have this freedom. I mean, think about that for a minute. We're free of fear, free of worry, free of worship. We have the freedom to worship the way we want. It's an incredible thing, but when you think about the ones who died, they're not free at all, are they? Their freedom's gone because they paid the price of laying down their life. And so we never want to forget that. I, I think that's so central to us. And then we honor the men and women that are in the armed services and are living right now. And some in this service, we're thankful for you and what you've done and the commitment you've given to it. And I'll tell you one more I want to mention. I know we've already had the men stand and the women stand, but how about those that are in the shadows of these men and women? Their families. You think about the families and the sacrifice that they make to watch their dad or their mom go off and wondering, are they going to come back? It's, just, it's an incredible thing. Sometimes we don't think about that from that perspective, but that's another angle too. And we're thankful for you, uh, the wives and the husbands, and then the children and the struggle they go through to be raised in the military. And so those are some thoughtful things to be mindful of, and I think that uh, sometimes they sacrifice in ways that we'll probably never quite understand. So don't forget that, too, this Memorial Day. I was just talking to a fellow who went on that Freedom Flight out of Greensboro up to D.C. a couple days ago and um, was able to... You go free if you're a veteran, I guess, and uh, uh, went up there and had a wonderful time being able to see all those sites there in D.C. and the wonderful tour they give them. I think that's such a beautiful thing they do. All right, take your Bibles to Joshua chapter 10 this morning. Joshua chapter 10. Um, I've entitled this message, I Got Your Six. Wasn't hard to come up with that title, I Got Your Six. And uh, I want to share this message from God's Word that God has laid on my heart. And as I share it, let me start with a story. I'm a big reader of a lot of military books. I've read two books by Willett now on his Navy SEAL leadership uh, books. I read Lone Survivor. That's the one I want to just share with you today. I don't know if you've read The Lone Survivor. But this is a reality every soldier is prepared to face. In the book Lone Survivor on June 28, 2006, in the rugged mountains of Afghanistan, four Navy SEALs under the command of Michael P. Murphy were inserted into tree-covered mountainsides in the mountains of Afghanistan. They were tasked with identifying the location of a high-value target Taliban leader. And so they were dropped off undercover, and they were sighting to see if this Taliban leader was located there. It was called Operation Red Wings. As they observed the Taliban base, incredibly, local goat herders stumbled upon their position. These were Taliban sympathizers, these goat herders, 
And if they were released, they would have certainly gone to the enemy and told them of these four Navy SEALs' location. And they would have easily been outnumbered. Well, the rules of engagement required civilians not be harmed or kept as prisoners. And so they uh, were in a difficult situation and fully aware of the consequences. Murphy rightly released the shepherds. At that moment, the mission was compromised. And so the seals moved to a defensive position in the mountains. Hoping to be evacuated in a short amount of time, they contacted help with the senior commander of the SEAL Team 10. So there they waited for them to arrive and hopefully take them back to safety, but also preparing probably for an inevitable attack when the goat herders told the Taliban that they were in the area. The attack came within an hour. Heavily armed Taliban descended on the SEAL's position. Fighting was fierce. All four men were wounded. Murphy knew the situation was de desperate. He disregarded his own safety and he made his way to a clearing for a radial signal to call for help. He took a shot in the back the second time. Yet he continued to call on the radio to secure that help was on the way. He closed with his final words, Roger that, sir. Thank you. And he died. Senior commander of the SEAL Team 6 quickly prepared forces to relieve the SEAL Team. They sent eight SEALs, eight night stalkers, loaded on a Schnook helicopter, raced to the, ba uh, raced to the battle. As they approached, the Taliban were already there in the fighting. They shot a rocket grenade and destroyed the helicopter, killing all 16 men aboard. On ground, alone, out of ammo, Murphy's three men fought on one by one. Two of them were immediately killed in the next 10 minutes. One soldier, Marcus Luttrell, the author of the book, was left for dead, but he had survived and was found by Afghan friendlies and he became the lone survivor survivor all other on the mission of the 19 were killed two weeks later the Navy sent special forces to reclaim the bodies they found their dog tags on their bodies with the warriors ethos I like this warriors ethos because this is where I'm gonna go today this is what was written on their ethos I will always place the mission first I will never accept defeat I will never quit. I will never leave a fallen comrade. I'm going to make that the theme of my message today. I like that. I like that warrior's ethos. At some level, that is our theme as children of God and followers of God, that we will not accept defeat and we will never quit in service to our Lord and Commander, Jesus Christ. So I do want you to take time today or tomorrow to make sure you take time to thank God for the country we live in and the freedom we have and also thank these that have uh, provided this freedom for us. I've chosen to discuss the war of Joshua. So let's stand together. We'll read the passage first. Joshua chapter 10 verse 7 through 14. Follow along now as I read. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the valiant warriors. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not one of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal, 
And the Lord confounded them before Israel, and he slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, and pursued them by way of the ascent of Beth Horon, and struck them as far as Ezekah and Makeda. As they fled from before Israel, while they were at the descent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Ezekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstone than those who died than whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. And Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the, moon, until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day? There was no day like that before it or after it when the Lord listened to the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. You may be seated. I love to do war stories, especially on Memorial Day. I don't do it every Memorial Day, but this is one of those stories I thought would be enjoyable to reflect upon and make some application to your life. It's an incredible story, uh, this war of Joshua with these five most powerful kings of Canaan at this time when he's invading the land. Now, the reason you have these Old Testament battles in the Bible is because they're trying to teach you about New Testament victories you can have. And that's why you have these stories in the Bible. They're not just written there. They're to teach us how to have victory. Now, the Bible says in this war, Joshua asked God in verse 12, he said, Son, stand still. And the sun stood still and the moon did not move. That's an absolutely amazing thing in Scripture. Now, God had already up to this point already given Joshua, uh, Jericho and Ai into his hands, and now he wants to move into the middle of the country of Canaan, and he wants to block off the ability of these kings to be able to fight together. So he goes right through the middle of the land after Ai, and he sets up camp in Gilgal. And there in Gilgal, he is getting ready to fight these five kings, but these five kings come together. These are no normal kings, okay? I'll explain that in just a minute. But the, these five kings came together to fight Joshua. The devil's crowd, I should say, is the way I like to call it, formed a league. They formed a league against Joshua, a confederacy. And they banded together like a united league of nations. All right? And who are these people? Let me just have you see them because this is an important verse. Verse 5 of chapter 10. So the five kings of the Amorites, remember that, I'll come back to it. The five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up with all their armies and camped by Gibeon and fought against it. All right? So, you got the king of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. We know those are the five most powerful kingdoms in Canaan at this particular time. So, it probably just wasn't them. I think it was Jerusalem the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, Lachish, Eglon. I'm sure the ACLU was there, Planned Parenthood, and the National Council of the Arts. That's not in the Bible. I added that in. Okay, but uh, one thing you need to understand about these, these guys is these are not normal kings, okay? These are the sons of the giants. These are the sons of the giants. They are the offspring of the giants. How do I know this? How do I know this? Well, 
We know this because there is an encyclopedia put out by Jews that is universally accepted around the world by all Jewish people. It's called the Universal Jewish Encyclopedia. And in the descendants, the Amorites descended from two key giant clans, the Anakim and the Rephaim, which are also in the book of Joshua. Those were the real big boys, okay? Now, we don't know if they were as tall as their dad and mom, who were the real giants, but they're the offspring of the giants, and they probably had quite some height to them and strength to them. Now, I don't know why this is suppressed in the United States. It's not suppressed in other countries as much, but these giants, these giants. In the first century, Josephus, of his history of antiquities, records that there was a museum in Israel that housed the bones of these giants. So you're not making this stuff up. And a lot of people try to say, oh, those giants were just thrown in. But it, it, we have from first century a museum. It was destroyed by the Romans and armies. But it, it's a museum that had the bone structures put back together or done that way. And so I wanted you to see it. Okay? The Bible says, look at the 36-foot guy. Okay? 36 feet. All right? On the left, that's Joshua down at the left. Oh, he's not Joshua, but it's six feet, okay? You're six feet on average in your height, but the Bible says they were as tall as cedar trees. So you're not going up against some normal little king here. Now, we know the giants were up to 36 to 40 feet in height as far as bone structures from the evidence that we have archaeologically, but these are offspring, so they may not be as tall as the actual giants, but they sure got the blood of giants. You got the blood of giants in them. And uh, so this is the kind of enemy that he's facing. Someone did a modern rendering of this and took this and said, well, what if you put flesh on them? What would they look like? And so here's kind of a modern rendering. That, you know, that's make-believe there, okay? But I just want you to see some level of Joshua would be the guy on the left, all right? And then these are the guys he's going against, maybe in the 20 feet tall range, 18 feet tall range. But listen, you're not, I'm not making this stuff up, okay? I just want you to know that because you don't learn a lot of this stuff in your own history studies, but the, there is evidence that points to these facts. And I just want that to be clear that it's why God said to Joshua, don't be afraid. Okay, you go up against a 20-foot guy and see if you're going to be afraid, okay? That's the idea here. And so what Joshua does is he decides to make a surprise attack. He moves at night. He moves his entire army at night. He leaves from Gilgal and he travels over to Gibeon to take on these five kings and all of their armies. And while he's doing it, he does what's called a pincher move, all right? I'm not big on military strategy here. I don't know a lot about it, but I know enough that I read about this, okay? So when he gets up to the enemy, he splits to the flanks of, of his enemy, and so he surrounds them, and he completely makes them surrounded in a narrow pass. Uh, the Israel, I've been to this place. The Israelites call this Gunsight Pass. And so, because uh, it's a long, narrow place, and he completely has them surrounded. And Joshua says this, the morning's about to come. He said, we got them. We got these boys. We're going to bring them down. And uh, Joshua said, but the sun's going down. And we need more time. If we don't have more time, we can't destroy these kings. And if we can't destroy these kings and their armies, we're going to be set back in our conquest of, of uh, the land. And so, God, we just, we just need some more time so that we can have uh, success in our battles against these giant kings, if you will. And so Joshua prophesies in verse 12, and he says, 
Sun stands still on Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And it happened. It happened. The sun stood still and the moon didn't move. And lo and behold, now listen to me, okay? Lo and behold, a whole day is added to the calendar. A whole day is added to the calendar. Now, that's where I want to kind of camp for just a little bit, okay? Because this is how I've outlined my message here. There are three fundamental values every soldier of God uses to fight his battles. And these three, I think you ought to lock in your heart, okay? Three fundamental battles. Three fundamental values, values every soldier of God uses to fight his battle. Here's the first one. The first one, number one. The reliability and trust of God's Word. Now, I just told you a whole day was added to the calendar. That's what the Word of God says. Now, some don't want to believe that, and that's why they'll say the Bible's a myth. This is a myth. It's not true. Come on. That's, that's, I can't, that's, that's ridiculous. But I'm saying to you here, okay, in this message today, this old book can be trusted. This old book can be trusted with everything in your life. And in your eternity, you can trust everything written in this book. I don't know any other book ever written that you could trust like that. If it said the sun stood still, I want to just tell you something, okay? Don't be an editor. Just be the newsboy, all right? Put the truth on the front porch. Don't throw it up on the roof of fallibility and the roof of doubt. Uh, I used to be a newsboy, and sometimes I a, a, a news delivery a news delivery boy, and I'd I'd throw the paper as hard as I could so I didn't have to get off the sidewalk. And when I'd throw it, sometimes I'd throw it too hard, I'd get up on the roof. Okay, and then I'd have to call the guy and say, your paper's on the roof. That didn't go over so well, but, but I do remember that. But what you want to do is you just want to be a newsboy that, that puts the truth on the front step of people's lives. That's, that's all I am, is a newsboy. Putting truth on the front step of your life. But some would challenge that and say, it's a myth. It's folklore. It's just stories passed down over time and they got into the Bible. It's not true. They call it redaction. It's not authentic. Well, I want to tell you something. I disagree. I disagree. I make an assumption that all Scripture is inspired and given by God. All Scripture is inspired and given by God. This isn't just a story stuck in there. And I disagree for several reasons. I disagree on astronomical grounds. I'm not an astronomer, okay, but I did some study this week and actually enjoyed myself doing it, and I think I can prove it to you. First of all, verse 13 says, the sun, the sun stood in the midst of the heaven. That would be right in the zenith of Gibeon, high noon, sun directly over Gibeon, all right? And then the moon stood over the valley of Ajalon, and if we know the exact location of the sun, and we know the exact location of the moon, okay, I feel like somebody's coming to get me, you know. That's just, that's awfully close, isn't it? But um, anyways, I'll go on here. As I, got, I get a little distracted easily sometimes. But um, was I preaching something here this morning? I'm trying to remember where I am now. Okay, uh, we, can, we can take the exact location of the sun, the moon, and where the stars were at this particular time, and we can plot 
we can, plot, can plot the exact position of those things. And what I learned is this. That exact position is reached just once in each lunar cycle. And people who study chronology and astrology can tell you from that information, the exact day based on the location of the sun, moon, and stars can be reached. Which is absolutely amazing to me. Now follow me, okay? All right. If you follow the Chaldean, the Babylonian calendar, if you follow the Chaldean Babylonian calendar forward, that day can be determined to be July 22nd on a Tuesday. Harry Rimmer did his work on this in 1956 with the Harmony of Science and Scripture. He said, and if you follow the Julian, Julius Caesar calendar, the Roman calendar, if you follow the modern Roman calendar backwards, so you follow the Chaldean Babylonian forward, you come up July 22nd. You follow it backwards with the Julian uh, Roman calendar, you come up with exactly July 22nd. One big difference. Same month, same week, but the Chaldean calendar says Wednesday, the Julian says Tuesday. Full day. Full day discrepancy between them. <sighs> Which is absolutely incredible. So, ultimately, what the Israelites say is there is a day missing, and they call it Joshua's day. Joshua's day. God wrote a miracle forever in the stars, and the stars show a day missing, or what we call an extra long day. Now, historians, theologians, scientists object. They disavow, say, no, this, this can't be proven. And they say something like this, well, if it really happened, we, we'd, had, we'd have other records than the Bible of a really long day. Well, guess what? We do. Okay, so I went a little deeper with this, all right? The Chinese, the oldest calendars, the I Ching calendar, and they have a legend passed on on their I Ching calendar of a very long day. Not only do the Chinese have it, the Babylonians have it. They have a very long day in their records. The Persians have it. New Zealand has it. New Zealanders have it. They have a mythical hero called Maui that slowed the sun before it set. Furthermore, more reliable historians, Herodotus, the Greek historian from before the time of Christ, he showed by the Egyptian records there was a day that was twice the normal length. This is almost, it's almost unbelievable to me, okay? And, and if you, you know, so you said, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I think about all that, okay? Study the British astronomer, C.A. Tufton, who worked at Yale University in the early 1900s, who did work on this. Edwin Ball did some work on this with modern, he took modern calculations of the solar time with the orbits of the earth and the sun and found this, that 24 hours was missing. <laughs> 24 hours was missing. Okay, well, wouldn't there be, this is what the objection then is, wouldn't there be a corresponding record of a long night somewhere on the earth? And lo and behold, you have it. The Incas write in their records of a very long night. The Aztecs write the record of a very long night. Now, why did I tell you all that? Because it blows my mind to think that this could actually be backed up by science. And I'm just trying to tell you, this is true. And even if any of that science wasn't involved, I'd still say it's true because of the authority of God's Word. It is God-breathed. Some say, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. They say it against the law. It's against the laws of nature. 
Well, the truth is there may be laws you don't know about. That's what the truth of the matter may be, okay? God can set aside a law we don't know about yet. Think about it. God can hold back the rotation of the earth and slow it down. God can do that. He can hold back the rotation of the earth and slow it down. That's, that's amazing to think about. Say, so how did he do it? I don't know how he did it. How did it happen? I don't know. Just God did it. That's, that's the best I got for you. God did it, and I believe it. What I'm telling you is you can trust the Word of God. You're going to have to come to a place in your life, you trust all of it or you trust none of it. Not one, of this, not one verse can fall in truth. I love that. I love to think about that, and I, I, I stand on it. I love this story. It's just a little short poem by uh, uh, R.G. Lee on a charge to keep. He says this, the Bible, there it stands. Which is, he so captured the thought. Centuries follow century, there it stands. Emperors rise and fall and are forgotten, there it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty, there it stands. Kings are crowned and uncrowned, there it stands. Despised and torn to pieces, there it stands. Storms of hate swirl about it, there it stands. Atheists rail against it, there it stands. Agnostics smile cynically, there it stands. Profane, prayerless punsters caricature it, there it stands. Unbelief abandons it, there it stands. The flames are kindled about it, there it stands. The arrows of hate are discharged against it, there it stands. An anvil that has broken a million hammers, there it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it, there it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment, there it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away, there it stands. I love that. Forever, the Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word stands. There it stands. Never change. Never change. That's why you want to mine it for jewels. That's why you want to seek those jewels in your life that you find it. That's why you want to dive into it for its pearls. That's why you want to have a, a, a life where you gain strength from the Word of God. You're not going to have a victorious Christian life unless you're in this book. Let me say it to you this way. Let this Word get into you. But it's not enough just to let the Word... Not, it's not enough to just go read the Word. It's not enough to just meditate on the Word. It's not enough to just do that. You've got to do that, okay? You've got to let the Word get into you. But you've got to let that Word sink into you in such a way that it gets down into your heart and changes you. Okay, so if, if I tried to say this as best I could, you got to get into the Word. But more importantly, the Word's got to get into you. It's got to get into you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not enough just to get into the Word. you got to let the Word get into you. And that, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. All right, that's good enough on point one. Let's go on. Number two, the defense and protection of God for His people. I love this. The defense and protection of God for His people, okay? Verse 11 says, As they fled from before Israel while they were at the descent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiel, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than those whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Verse 14, There was no day like that before it or after it when the Lord listened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. 
I love that line. That's the line that stuck with me all week long. The Lord fought for Israel. The Lord fought for Israel. I love it. Okay, so here they are chasing them. They did the pincher move. They surround them. And the next day they start attacking these giants. And, and all along they're attacking these giants. God's kind of watching this battle from up above them. And he's looking down upon them. And as he's looking down upon them, he's noticing that, hey, some are going to get away. <laughs> so what does he do? Joshua's out here ahead of with his army, and out ahead are these giants that are fleeing from Joshua. They're running down to the pathway of Beth Horon, and God's here at the back watching this all, and he says, I'm not going to let him get away. And so he starts taking some hailstones. They didn't literally take hailstones like this, but he said, I just want you to see the image. He starts throwing hailstones, punk, punk, and just landing on these guys and taking them out. I mean, if you're going to take out a giant, you need a pretty big hailstone to do that. Okay, so he's letting them fall upon them. What's God saying there? What's God doing? What he's saying is, go ahead, Joshua, chase them. But I got your six. I got your six. I'm going to fight for you. See, it's not enough for you to fight your own battle. You got to let God take your six and say, I got you covered. That comes only by faith to take that from the Word of God, that if God can fight his battle, he can certainly fight your battle. Just you've got to believe in your heart that God's got your six. You say, how do I do that? How do I, how do I get God on my side? Well, let me just say, that's your problem right there. It's not you getting God on your side. It's you getting on God's side. You've you got to learn how to do that. That's hugely different than getting God to help you fight your battle. You've got to say, God, I've got to get on your side. Now, this is what's so key about Joshua through the book of Joshua is that in Joshua chapter 5, we won't turn there, but he has this experience before he fights his first battle at Jericho, and he goes across the river to get alone with God. When he gets alone with God, he looks over in the way, and he sees this man dressed in battle array. He's got his battle uniform on, he's got his sword, and he's standing there like this. And Joshua sees him, and he grabs his sword, and he's going to go over and fight him. He said, hey, whose side are you on? You're on their side, you're on the enemy's side, or you're on our side? Whose side are you on? Because I'm going to fight you right now. You're not on our side. And I love, I love it. It's, it's clear in the Hebrew. It's not as clear in the English. But let me just say to you, you know, what he says is literally no. That's his answer. Whose side are you on? No. In Hebrew, it literally means neither. Neither. I'm not on your side, Joshua, and I'm not on their side. I didn't come here to take sides. I came to take over. I came to take over. And, and if you want to get on my side, that's the only way you're going to be able to do it. You can't sit there and say, okay, God, come fight my battle. What you got to do is say, God, I got to get on your side. I got to get on your side. And he said, I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. And he said, now, Joshua, take your shoes off. Get down on your knees, you're on holy ground. Just like he did with Moses. That's Jesus Christ before he was actually come into this world as a human being. The captain of the Lord of the hosts. We call it a pre-incarnate experience of Jesus Christ. And this is the key. I didn't come to take sides, I came to take over. I'm not for you and I'm not for them. I'm the captain of the hosts. And what God the Father is telling us is, Whoever's on the son's side, 
I'm for him. So that's what we got to do. We got to line up on his side. We got to line ourselves up according to the word of God. We got to do certain things in our life that says, God, I don't want you to be on my side. I'm going to get on your side. I'm going to get on your side. And when you do that, the Lord will fight for you. I promise you that. All right, let's go on. Number three, number three, the work of God, the work of God. Now, I like this verse. I kind of like studying it this week. I, I just, uh, just such a powerful thing. It says in verse 14, There was no day like that before it or after it when the Lord listened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Just think about that for a minute, okay? It's one thing to say there was no day like that before it. That's a pretty bold statement to say there'll never be a day after it either. In eternity and in the past, never been a day like that where I listen to the voice of a man, stop the rotation of the earth, and there'll never be a day like it again. Could be kind of a cocky statement. No, like it, no day like it before, no day like it after. Like a humble man won't say that. He'll just say, There's, nobody's ever done what I've done. But could that man do something like you've never done in the future? Well, I don't know. But God could say, God is not going to stop the sun again. And God is not going to prolong time again. That's an amazing thing to think about. God is never going to do that for a man to do the work that he's called to do. He only did it one time in the whole entire Scripture. Now, what's that mean for us? I, th I thought of several applications. But I'm just going to give you one. Jesus said it this way in John 9, 4. While it is day, I must do the works of him that sent me, for the night cometh when no man can work. God said, I'll never stop the sun again, and soon your opportunities will run out. You won't be able to cry out to me, give me more time. No, your opportunities, like the sun going down, will run out. Don't ever presume God will do it again. Don't ever presume that. Whatever you're going to do for the Lord, you better get it done now. That's, that's what I'm saying to you. Some folks squander their time, they waste it, and the sun is setting. Jesus said, while it is day, Jesus said, I've got to do the works of the Father who sent me. Because the night's coming, the sun's setting, and then I can't work. Even Jesus himself had to submit to that. I dare say, I may be wrong on this, but I'm going to dare say it. There are probably millions of people in hell right now, and there are probably millions of people in heaven that wish they had the opportunity you got right now with this day. They wish they could go back and just take one opportunity. One opportunity, one day, God, give me one more day to go back. I gander to say millions of people would love to do that. You know why? Because your opportunities are golden days. You're given golden days. I think there's something to that. But life's evening sun is setting low, man. I feel it in my own body. I feel my sun is setting low. I can tell you that. That's the truth. But I also look at the signs of the times, and there's no doubt in my mind. The sun's setting on this world. We see the evil. We see the rage. We see the anger. You just see things happening. 
You don't have to live long to see that, but look at the last 20 years. And you can just feel this sense of the sun setting on this world. Nothing's going to be unwound. Nothing's going to rewound. And so I think it's something serious to think about in your own life. Okay? Let me tell you it this way, okay? There was a professor. He was an artist. And one day he took all of his students and to teach them how to paint, he took them outside to a sunset on a hill overlooking a farm. He took them out there at 6 o'clock at night and he sat them down there on their seats, put the easels up, and then he said, paint the sunset going down over that barn before 8.30. So they were under a bit of time crunch. They had two and a half hours to do it, and there they were. After about an hour, the professor started walking around to the canvases, and he went from person to person, canvas to canvas, to notice what they were doing. He stood over one student, and he said, Son, what are you doing? What are you doing? And the young man looked at the professor and he said, Oh, I'm trying to get the shingles right on the barn. And the professor said, You're what? He said, Son, look. The sun is setting in a few moments and it'll be gone. And you're trying to put shingles on a barn. Does that remind you of anyone? You got all these opportunities for God, and you're putting shingles on a barn, and you're fixing the lawn, and you're getting everything just right. But the sun setting. The sun is going down. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. Night comes when no man can work. If there's some money you were going to give, you better give it to the Lord. If there's a person you were going to witness to, you better witness to him. If there's a prayer that you've been needing to make, you better make that prayer. If there's a sin you needed to confess, you better confess that sin. Why? The sun's going down. What are your opportunities that God wants you to do for Him? If there's a Savior you intended to receive, don't wait till the sun goes down. That just kind of brought me back to reality. I must work the works of Him that sent me. What are the works that He wants you to work? sun setting and when it sets and night comes no more work I want to give you two takeaways I'm done two takeaways here we go number one these are some things I've been to put in the notes I forgot to put them in there but let me just have you grab these number one and I believe this sometimes you will be outnumbered sometimes you will be outnumbered in your life here is Joshua. He's got to go against five kings of the giants. And as he goes against them, there is a spirit in Joshua. I may be six feet tall. <laughs> but there is a spirit in him that the other spies, when they spied out the land, did not have in them. They had a spirit of fear. 
But Joshua had the eyes of faith to believe what God could do in his life, even if he was outnumbered. And he clearly was outnumbered. So I'm asking you today for takeaway number one. Can you go into a place where you are outnumbered? Can you go into a place where you are numbered? Where they don't look like you, where they don't dress like you, where they don't act like you, where they don't think like you, and they don't even like you. Another way to say it is, until you can go into a room where you are outnumbered, you'll never get what God has for you. When you can see what others cannot see, you can do what others cannot do. Just remember that, okay? Just remember that one thought. When you can see what others cannot see, you can do what others cannot do. If you get outnumbered in your life, just say, I'm all right. I'll be all right. God's word is true. He'll send some hailstones if he has to. Because he's saying, I got, I got your six. I got your six. All right, second takeaway. It will blank if you blank it. It will blank if you blank it. Now, I didn't fill that in yet because I wanted to talk about this one for a minute. If something ain't working right in your life, and you say, Lord, it's just not working right in my life. I don't understand it. What are you doing? I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to follow you. Here I am at church. I'm giving. I'm doing all these things. But Lord, it's just, it's just sometimes it ain't working right. And, and sometimes the question coming up, where's the God of Joshua in my life? Where's the God of Joshua in my life? I'm going to tell you now, he told you, he said, in his word, he will fight for you as he fought for Joshua. That's why you want to see this battle. He will fight for you. But first, let me, let me say this. You've got to get your fight back. You've got to get your fight back. Your dream back. Stand up for what God's created you to be and how God wants you to take advantage of the opportunities he's given you. Whatever it is you're trying to do, whatever you're trying to build in your life, it is going to take sacrifice, it is going to take labor, and it is going to take sweat. You have to bury your pride, put in the work, and make it happen. I had to speak to 300 college students the other day. When I was speaking to those 300 college students, this is what was in my heart as I was speaking to them. If you're really going to make it, there's going to be times in your life where you're going to have to put in the work when no one else is putting in the work. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to sweat. You're going to have to go after it. And if you don't go after it, don't expect the gains to come from what you're here in college for. So what you have to do sometimes, sometimes you have to pull an all-nighter while everybody else is watching the game. So I talked to the college students about that, and I got to thinking... You don't have the right to get anything until you stayed up all night and studied while others are watching the game. It's going to take some sweat equity on our part. God will fight your battles, but it's going to take some effort on your part. Okay, so here's my thought. It'll work if you work it. It'll work if you work it. 
You have got to put from your perspective what it takes. God will work, but Joshua had to work it. Joshua had to work it. You don't need any more glamour, okay? What you need is guts. <laughs> you can't be great without guts. That's what I've been trying to say on this Memorial Day message. It'll work if you work it. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. And I pray right now, Lord, there may be someone here. The sun is setting on their life. They don't know when. They just can sense the sun's going down. And maybe they haven't given their life to you. Maybe they haven't surrendered to you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you would speak to their heart right now. Show them that their sin deserves judgment. They can't be good enough. They can't earn it. They can't hope that God will look at the good things they did and they'll outweigh the bad. Their only hope is in your death, your burial, and your resurrection. And God, they would come to you in a humble way and say, God, my sin deserves judgment. Save me. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. God, if there's one here that needs to pray that prayer, Father, may they do it. In the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for my people as well. The sun is setting. The night come. When no man can work. There may be some opportunities they need to take. And I pray you'd stir their hearts to that the opportunities they have for the gospel with their monies, with their witness, with their time, their talents, their treasures. God, I want to lay that before you and I want to pray that you'd speak through your spirit to each of them. God, put a strength over them. May they go forth renewed like Joshua, believing with all their heart. God will fight my battle. Lord, I lay that before you now and each person in this room that has listened and the Spirit of God has spoken to. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen.